Well, if you haven't heard by now, there probably should be a warning label on this sermon. We're going to be all over the board. We're going to exposit scripture. We're going to uh, explain curriculum. There's going to be an announcement here that uh, um, should not shock you. You should have, uh, uh, we should all see, have seen it coming. Um, um, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> it's not that one. Uh, but God has brought us to a place in the life of our congregation uh, of being trained for ministry. You know, congregations are like people. Uh, any person that's alive and healthy go, goes through stages. And you can't get to, to one stage without passing through certain other stages. It's called maturity. And God has brought us through these seven years in order to get us to this eighth year. Um, so all of this year, we are uh, concentrating on training people to minister for Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you that we are beginning the year by considering the great commandment that Christ brought to us. Because he says, from these commandments, from this great commandment, all the law and the prophets hang. In other words, this is the foundational thing. Last week, we considered worship. The first part of that great commandment was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, that is the Shema. It is, the, it is, the, it is uh, Deuteronomy 6.5. And it was that which a Hebrew man said every beginning of every day and at the end of every day. It was a form of worship. It was attributing to God uh, who he was and what, we should, what our response should be to him. And that's what worship is. And we said last week that the difference between good works that, that people do for one another and ministry is that ministry begins with worship. It comes from God. It is God-initiated. We love others because He first loved us. And it ends in worship. So let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so therefore, worship is the bookends of good works. And that's why it's ministry. And worship should be the bookends of our days. We should begin and end with worship. But today, we're going to consider the second part of that great commandment. If you have your scriptures with you, you might turn to um, Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Remember the setting for this. He's asked by a lawyer, an expert in the law, what is the greatest commandment? Now, anytime you're asked by a lawyer about the law, you can sense some sort of entrapment because they know more about it than you do. Now, Jesus knew that they had come. The sense of this was that they had come to entrap him. And so they said, okay, out of all the laws, what's the greatest one? Pick out one. And so Jesus picked out one, but he wouldn't just have it as one. Now, this is, this is absolutely key. I don't want you to miss this. Christian theology identifies God and the identity of God is being both singular and plural at once. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. We, out of all of the religions of the world, say God is both singular and plural at once. He is one God, but yet he is triune in his makeup. 
Now, when you take a look at how God made the world, he made the world to resemble who he was in his makeup. The, the, the basic building elements of this world are both singular and plural at once. The atom is uh, uh, nucleus and, and, and protons and, and, or neutrons and protons and electrons. Those are, those are separated parts, but you can't separate them without a big explosion. The molecules, the, the whole universe is, is molecularly based. Molecules, though, are a combination of different elements that naturally stick together. They are both singular and plural at once. Now, when Jesus said, you want the great commandment? I'll give you the great commandment. It came in a form that was both singular and plural at once. When Jesus links worship and works, that is both singular and plural at once. They go together. There's two parts to it, but they go together, and you can't separate them. And so Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. I wonder if he even took a breath there. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That, this is the foundation. If you get this, you'll get the rest of it. Now, there's something I want to tell you before we go on on this second part of this commandment. I've heard many people misinterpret this commandment as a, an avenue to build up their self-esteem before they did anything, anything else. I've heard people say, well, you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. You can only love your neighbor as you love yourself, and therefore you've got to love yourself before you love anybody else. Mm-mm, nah, nah. I want you to see this. I not only want you to see the triune nature of this commandment. There's God, there's your neighbor, and there's yourself. That is the triune nature of this. But I want you to see the order of this. I want you to see, for example, that, that it says, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, as in Greek is hos. And hos is a, is a relative adverb used as a conjunction that connotes and denotes not only connection, but many times it, it connotes sequence. Sequence. Now watch this. If you, if you have your scriptures, you might want to turn to uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, and I'll show you an example of how this is used in the New Testament at times. Paul is saying this, Acts 20, 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course, the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Those words, in order that, is that word hosts, as. And so therefore, in this instance, it is not only a connective conjunction, it is a sequential conjunction. Therefore, when you read, love your neighbor as yourself, you can also have an alternate reading where you supply those words, love your neighbor in order that you love yourself. Note the sequence. First you go then you'll understand yourself better. Now, here is the principle. God is a God that completes 
the essence by extension. Completes the essence of what something is by the extension to something else. That's what completes what some, something is not complete in itself until it is extended. That is the meaning of the incarnation. Jesus Christ was God extended and therefore completed as God. Now God is always completed in his nature, but that was his nature to be extended. Now I tell you this as an important principle for this reason. We have a major problem in the church. As a matter of fact, we have a major problem in Western society in dividing things and looking upon things as divided, as their natural state. We've had this uh, historically in philosophy. You philosophy member, uh, 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 majors know that the, the Cartesian dualism that for hundreds of years caused major problems because Descartes, Rene Descartes, said there are two essences in the world. There's mind and body. Mind and body. There are two separate essences. Now, philosophically, that causes a major problem. Because if they're truly separate essences, how does one influence the other? How does one have a causal effect on the other if they're really separate? The same thing has happened in the church. The major heresy in the church down through the years has been something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a belief that there is the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and they're two separate realms. Now, there we go again. We have a major problem. If they're two separate realms, then why does it matter what you do with your body? If they're two separate realms, then how does one affect the other? How does one have a causal effect on the other? Again, there's been a problem in ecclesiology, in, in the church. Because the church, many times people live dual lives. They live one life in church and they live another life in the world. They come to the church and they say, oh, this is reality. This is what's going to last forever. But they go outside and say, but you can't live like a Christian out here. Because this is the real world. Christians are wonderful, but they're naive. You can't live like a Christian out here. And so they live dual lives. But it's not called dualism. That's called hypocrisy. That's what that's called. So here we have this major problem. And Christian maturity is never reached, and God never completes what he has begun in us, watch this, until we are extended until the other world combines with this world. We aren't Christians by virtue of us coming doing our little Christian programs. We aren't Christians until we're Christians out there. This isn't the church until it's the church out there. Becky and, and uh, Jason, Lisa and I were having uh, supper at a, at a, uh, a restaurant in town here uh, Friday night, I think it was, and one of the Waiters, big, tall, lanky guy. Everybody looks big and tall and lanky to me. <laughs> he, he came over and said, Dr. Hunter? I said, yeah. He goes, I go to Northland. I said, oh, great. That's cool. He said, I'm so juiced about this year. This is going to be so great. I said, yeah, me too. Ministry out in the world this is great. You know, I'm all pumped. And he said, he kind of lowered his voice. He says, we're trying to get something going here. Like, you know, there's going to be Waiters, get together here. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's it. Unless the church can be the church at the restaurant. 
Unless the church can be the church in the, in the schools, unless the church can be the church in, in the parks, unless the church can be the church out there, we're really not the church. That's exactly where it belongs. That's exactly the form it ought to take. And so we have this great extension. And the extension is according, not to our nature, but according to God's nature. That's what ministry is. It is extending the nature of God through us into the world. That's a principle that came at the very beginning of creation. Look at Genesis 1, just for a second. Let me show you this principle. Verse 11, for example... Genesis 1.11 says, And then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind. Very important phrase. Look at verse 21. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 24. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. Verse 25. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. Are you getting a pattern here? And the pattern all builds up to the consummation of the pattern when God creates man. Look at verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In other words, after his kind. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if we are to be extended into the world, we must multiply after our kind. Now, here is an appropriate place for an announcement. Some people have said, I shouldn't do this in a sermon. I don't know. Why not? Um, I'm a preacher. It's not what I do. It's what I am. It's what I was born to be. And so somewhere along the line, I ought to be begetting preachers because I ought to be mentoring someone after my kind, not like me, but of the same general species. <laughs> now, Northland, if you've noticed, has a wonderful challenge ahead of us. We are growing at a rate that we simply have to add another worship service. Um, we are well over 6,000 on the weekends now. Um, and the way we're situated with seating 11 or 1,200 in a sanctuary uh, and the way the, the, the uh, um, congregations are normally distributed, even if you can guilt people to coming into alternate services, which we're not above, by the way, <clears throat> even if you can do that for a sustained period of time, sooner or later, you got to add another service. And we're at that stage. And I can't preach any more services. And so it's very appropriate that we would bring in another preacher. And we just happen to have another preacher. His name is Orlando Rivera. He's been on time. 
That's the first time they applauded Orlando. Is that because you're sitting there? <laughs> Stand up and, by the way, let people see who you are. This is Orlando if you don't know him. Of course you do. Now, this is very appropriate for several reasons. Not only because uh, I want to last past 60, um, and not only because we're doing the same thing with our, with our worship team. We'll just kill them off like we kill uh, everything else off. We don't multiply them too. Um, but this is appropriate because, number one, um, you need... This congregation needs more than one preacher. Uh, we are in a vulnerable position. Uh, we've had a very good 10 years of, of multiple services here. It's been a good run. And I have... I've loved it. This is kind of tough for me because this is an end of an era for us. On uh, Valentine's Day weekend, February 14th. That'll be the last time that I preach all seven services with consistency. It's been a good era, but it is not good for a church only to have one preacher. If something would happen to me, this would be in a very vulnerable, we'd place the church in a very vulnerable position. And since we need to multiply worship services it also says we need greater oversight to the whole development of the church. And even if a, even if a teacher can teach uh, seven times a day, uh, they can't teach and be the principal of the school at the same time. So it's the right thing to do for the church. And Orlando will um, uh, take, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll divide, we're probably going to start a new worship service uh, hopefully Easter or before. But we'll, we'll start a new worship service probably at the 1245 time on Sundays. That's the most natural time. and That's one of the few times that the, that the uh, sanctuary is still available. And we'll start it at that time. Uh, and we'll take four and four every weekend. Uh, we'll alternate weekends. Uh, at least this is how we're starting. One, one preacher will take the evening and the other take will we'll take Sunday mornings and afternoons. And then we'll have four and four. And then when Isaac, my son, gets here in the summer, we'll start another service on Wednesday. That'll be our ninth service. And probably by the fall, we'll have another uh, service off campus. If we want to be a non-geographically limited church, we'll have another service off campus, probably near UCF, uh, geared toward the Scott College students. That'll be our 10th service. So that's where we're going. But we're changing, and we're changing, uh, and we're excited about the change. You know what? I, I thought this would, be, this would be fun. This is not from the elders. This is just something that I thought would be cool. Every time there was a major change in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was some, some marker, some way to celebrate that, some way to commemorate how good God had been in the past and put our confidence in how good He would be in the future. And I thought... What is the one thing that we could get rid of from the past and love to keep in the past that we could just on that weekend 
If everybody gave their best, we could just say, okay, this commemorates the past. It's been good, but we start anew. And I thought, the debt. The debt. <laughs> J.T. Amon. Let me tell you why. Since we bought this building, this congregation has been under debt. I, I, there, there were... There were uh, couple hundred that bought this thing and went like 675000 in debt, personally, personally signed the line. That's the way they could get it. And this, this, we've built millions of dollars worth of stuff, paid it as we go, but we still got just a little bit of debt left. We're right at around $100,000 right now. Wouldn't it be great that weekend, that is the last weekend of the old paradigm, to say, we're not only going to leave that past but we're going to give God a thank offering for the good past he's given us, and we're going to leave the debt in the past also. So would you please, that weekend, bring extra money to retire the debt? I figure if a 1,000 of us give 100 bucks, I'll be the first one to the box. But if a 1,000 of us give 100 it can go. I mean, it's gone. Some of you can give more. Some of you will have to give less. But all of us, let's just commemorate this time as a wonderful time to leave the past in the past and go toward the future. Now, let me see if I can get you back to the sermon. The point was that God extends himself in kind. And he gives to his people an extension in kind. And that we are to to uh, uh, duplicate what God has done in us for the sake of other people. Now, here is a very important point. When we talk about the, 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 the love of the neighbor, we must, we must absolutely understand that love in, in Scripture is not just an emotion. It is not just an intellectual um, um, uh, construct. It is action. It is action. That was the extension of God down to the earth. He took action. He was hands-on, so to speak. It is action. Look at what it says in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. Let me explain something to you very simply. It says, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but no works? Can that faith save him? Now supply in there, can that kind of faith save him? All of us know that we cannot earn our salvation by works. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no way we can make up for what we've done there's no way we can pay back to God. We owe him everything already. How are we going to earn salvation? We can't earn salvation. So we have to count on God as supplying that payment in Jesus Christ for our sins. Now watch this. There are three parts to a saving faith. The first part is the facts. You've got to know what God did for you in Jesus Christ. In Latin, that's called notitia. You understand the, 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 what has happened. You can grasp those facts. Number two, there is the intellectual agreement. Yeah, that is what happened. 
And you say, yeah, for example, Jesus Christ came down and died for my sins on the cross. And I agree that that actually happened. That's called in Latin, ascensus. You assent to that. But that is still not saving faith. It is not saving faith until you have the third ingredient, and the third ingredient is fiducia. It's trust. It is that which says, and therefore, I don't trust in what I'm doing anymore. I trust in what God has done and will do in my life. And my life is different. I'm not living according to me anymore. I'm living according to God. And until that change takes place, all you have is an intellectual construct. That's not, you don't have saving faith. It says here, read with me. It says, if a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? It says, <clears throat> even so faith, if it has no works, is dead by being by itself. But someone may well say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Works don't earn you salvation, but works are a manifestation of your salvation. They are the natural exhibition of what Christ has done in your life. And unless you are doing somebody else some good, then chances are all you have is an intellectual construct. You've agreed to a series of facts. And they haven't experienced the new birth, the new nature. You've not been born again. And this is what it says. It says, you believe that God is one. You do well. But the demons also believe and shudder. In other words, they have the first two. They, they know who Jesus is. And they know he died on the cross. They believe that's true. Are they saved? Huh. They're not saved because they have not put their life in him to follow him. Love is not simply emotion. It's not simply intellect. It is action. All through Scripture, it is action. I love the couplet that Mother Teresa um, uh, wrote. She said, Love has a hem to her garment that reaches the very dust. It sweeps the streets and the lanes. And because it can... It must. Love has a hem to her garment. It reaches the very dust. You see, there is always a practical outcome that is an exhibition of that love. And that's why we don't just stick with worship of God. We can't divide love of God from love of people. And that's why Jesus wouldn't divide them either. It's more than just having a feeling I heard a story not too long ago about a Reverend Chalfont who was celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary. And you know when you do that, people ask you and your wife, well, how'd you do it? 50 years, that's a, that's a big deal. And he told his story. You know, the older you get, the more stories you tell. And, 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 he, and he said, you know, when I was a boy, I lived in an orphanage. I didn't experience much love. I didn't see much love. And all I knew was hard work. It's all I knew. I didn't know how to love people. 
But when I became a teenager, I met this girl, and I just fell head over heels. And so I asked her to marry me, and to my amazement, she said yes. And I found myself on my wedding day reciting those vows, thinking, how am I going to do this? And after the ceremony, my new father-in-law took me aside. And he handed me a little package. And he said, in here is all you'll ever need for a successful marriage. And so he said, I opened it. There was a box, and I opened it. I was trembling. I couldn't wait to see what it was. And I looked inside, and it was a pocket watch. And I opened the cover to that pocket watch to see if it was set at the right time. And on the glass was etched these words. Say something nice to Sarah. That's all it said. But every time he looked at that watch, every time he wondered what time it was, he was reminded, say something nice to your wife. I want to tell you that love is more than a feeling. It's an extension. It's an extension. And love is an extension, watch this, not just to the one who loved you first. This is very, very important. Because you will find there are many times in life you can't love back like you've been loved. You just can't. You can't love back with God like you've been loved. He's already got everything. You can't love him back like you've been loved. So what do you do? There was another story I read about uh, Norman Vincent Peale. Remember him? Norman Vincent Peale. When when he was young, his family had uh, visitors uh, from other countries. This is an all-pair story that works out to the good. Uh, a young girl from Switzerland came to their house to learn about the culture, to, to perfect her English, and she stayed with the Peel family, and she just fell in love with them, just absolutely fell in love. But as it approached Christmas time, she became very depressed, and I'll tell you why. One of her jobs was to record all of the gifts that were coming into the house so that people could be properly and accurately thanked. Now, she had fallen in love with his family, and, and, and she wanted to give them something as an expression of her love. But every gift that came in was more expensive than anything she could buy. And they already were a fairly wealthy family, and, 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 and they already had a lot. And so her heart just kept sinking lower and lower. What could I possibly give them? Well, as she's sitting in her room one night, and she's looking over the skyline of New York, thinking how different it is than looking over the skyline of the Alps that was usually her bedroom window scene. But as she was looking over these man-made mountains, the thought came into her mind, yes, you don't have as much money as many, but you've got more than some. Think about that, and your answer will come. Well, she did think about it, and her answer did come. Her next day off was Christmas Eve, and she went out late into the afternoon, and she raced into a department store, and she went to the baby section, and she bought a little baby outfit. And then she ran down to the doorman. They had doormen in those days. And she said, where is a poor street? He said, I beg your pardon? She said, 
a poor, a poor street, a people, people, where poor people live. Where's a poor street? And he said, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Harlem, um, the village, Lower East Side, take your pick. And he went on with his duties. She ran out to a policeman directing traffic, and she said, how can I get to Harlem? And he looked at her and said, you don't want to go to Harlem. And he just kept directing traffic. And so she started to ask a, a woman on the street, how can I get to a poor street? And, and the woman hurried by. So she decided she'd just start taking the streets, and, and the ones that looked poorer, she'd go down. But they weren't as poor as she wanted. And so she rounded a corner, and as she rounded a corner, she heard a bell. Now, she recognized the bell because they have Salvation Army people even in Switzerland. And she went to this Salvation Army guy ringing the bell. He was kind of frumpy, had an oversized coat on, had, had glasses that slant. He didn't look very rich himself. She looked at him and she said, do you know where there's a poor street? He said, what do you mean? She said, where there are really poor people. And he said, well, there are poor people in the neighborhood where I live. She said, is there a family that has a new baby, a poor family? He said, yes, there is. Could you tell me how to get there? He said, well, give me a little time. I'll, I'll get off here, and then I'll take you there. If you, have a, if you have a dollar for the taxi ride home, then I'll take you there. Well, they hopped in a taxi after he got off, and they were going, and she was explaining to him what, what she was doing. And they pulled up against this, in front of this old dilapidated building, apartment building, and, and they got out, and she said, I'll take you up. He said, I'll take you up there on the third floor. And she, she paused, and she said, no, if I go up and I give them this, they're going to thank me. It's not from me. Would you just take it up, and then you can go home? And so he went up the stairs, and she got back in the cab, and she tried to imagine what was going on. She asked the cab driver to take her home, and the cab driver took her home, and she was digging around her pocket to see if she had enough to pay, and he just put up the flag, and he said, no charge. She said, no charge? He said, no, I, I've been paid. Well, she got out and went in the house. And the next day, as all of the family were opening their gifts at the appropriate time, she said, you know, I, I really wanted to get you a gift, but, but I didn't have enough money, and and everybody else sent real nice gifts, and you've got so much anyhow. I just didn't know what to do. So I bought a little poor baby, an outfit, and I gave it to them because of you. For your Christmas present, I did an act of kindness to someone else from you. I love that. Let me tell you why. First of all, what are we going to give God? What are we going to give God? Secondly, I don't know how many of you have ever had someone in your life that loved you so much, but you didn't love them like you should. I had a grandmother and I had a mother like that. They loved me overwhelmingly. And I didn't have the sense enough when they were around, to love them back like I could. I couldn't have loved them more, but I could have loved them better. 
I can't love them like that anymore. But this is a wonderful principle for me to grab a hold of. Because we can love people not only by how we treat them, but by how we treat others because of them. That's how you love people. And that's why our works can't be separated from our faith. And our ministry can't be separated from our worship. And that's why all year long we're going to be perfecting how we treat people on behalf of God. Now, we've got just a few minutes left, and I want, to, I, want to, I want you to pull down the screen, and let me do a giant emotional transition here and explain very practically the curriculum that you've been given. By the way, if you're going to use that curriculum, please take it. If you're not, please leave it behind. There's a limited number, but we hope that you'll take it. We hope that you'll use it. Let me tell you why we're doing a weekly curriculum. There are very few people, no matter how long you've been in the church, that have been trained for ministry. The church, for some reason, has not trained its people for practical ministry. And therefore, we are really concentrating. How do you get from Sunday to Sunday and make the other five days or the other six days good? And that's why we are putting out a curriculum. And let me just go through this curriculum for you or with you, so that you know that you have something daily here that will help you in your ministry. First of all, you will see on the first page that there is a memory verse. We're going to memorize Scripture together all year long. The curriculum really takes into, consider what, into consideration what's going to be preached next week. That's, that's the, that's the uh, Scripture that you're going to be going over every day, so that when you come in to the sermon next week, you've already been over that Scripture. And your hearts are opened so that when God plants a seed, the ground's already been plowed. But we're also going to have a, um, a, um, a scripture memory verse. And somehow we're going to work this in so that every, every week, hopefully, we say our memory verse together. So you can get this idea that we're all doing this together, all right? Now, this is the adult page. The front one is, is the adult page. And you can go down there and you can just see the types of questions, the ways that helps you explore Scripture, and the, and the practical considerations it gives you to, to, uh, to ponder. To, turn to the next page. This is the high school page. Doulos is the name of the training that has been taking place for high school students here for years. Doulos is Greek for bondservant or slave. And, and, and this is the high school page, and you will see uh, the same principle, different writing, uh, because uh, um, this is for a different age group. Turn to the next page. This is the middle school, Lug, Living Under Grace. And uh, you will see um, uh, even a more probably practical, less contemplative, less cerebral, but more practical approach here. Frankly, this is my favorite page. I'm probably going to work off this page. By the way, in the privacy of your own home, Whichever one of these most closely applies to where you're at, you work from there. Just because you're over 21 doesn't mean you've got to work from the adult material. There, there may be something that really fits the, your wiring a lot more than that or a lot better than that. Um, and, and Okay, give me the next one. This is the kids page. You notice they also have a, 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 a little shorter scripture verse to memorize. You may want to do that one too. Uh, and this is absolutely a phenomenal thing. 
Let me tell you, men, if you have children in your house and you have always wondered, how can I be the spiritual leader of this house? This curriculum will let you be the spiritual leader every day. You go through this with your kids or as many of them as you can catch and you'll become a spiritual leader. And, and, and it's absolutely great material. It's very simple. And you can, you can help them. It gives the families activities to do together and questions to ponder and so on and so forth. Okay, last page. Now we're almost out of here. This is the Great Commandment page. There is the upward reach that will help you worship. We don't expect people to know how to worship. Most people have never been taught to worship personally. Worship is something that you go to church and do, and they lead you and you do whatever they say. That is a very stunted Christian that, that, that doesn't know how, but most of us are stunted because nobody took the time to, to give us the suggestions. And so we're going to have ways that you can worship in here every week. And, and, and hopefully you will begin and end your day with worship. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you by saying, how'd you do this week? If you're like most people and you came last week and you said, yeah, I'm going to worship at the beginning, in the morning and the evening, every day. Long about Tuesday, you went, oh, man, I forgot to worship this morning. <laughs> and, and, then by, and then by Friday, you're, you're just flatlined. <laughs> Part of that's because you don't have the material in front of you to remind you, and you don't know what to do. Part of that's because you haven't arranged your day yet for a time. By the way, I think one of the absolute best times to worship is in the shower in the morning. I call it Eden worship. I mean, you're just buck naked in front of God like we used to be. <laughs> and I think it's wonderful. It's one of the few times of the day you're alone, probably, hopefully. And, and, <laughs> and you got this, and you got this thing where you just, you can sing. It sounds good, finally. You can, you can, you can uh, repeat scripture. You know God loves to hear his word back to him. You can say, you know, I love you, God. I love you because this. It's a great time. And that can be kind of your trigger to worship when you, when you crawl in. What a great way to wake up. That, that can be one of those things. Okay, and then we have, and love your neighbor as yourself. This column will help you every day say, okay, now how can I be an expression of the love of Christ to someone else? And this will, sometimes it'll have uh, volunteer opportunities. Sometimes it will have just little things you can do around the house. Sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll say, look over your fence and see what you can do, but it will always have ways that you can minister to other people. All right? Every day, let's do it. Pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you that you did not leave us with some cold uh, or even just emotional or even just intellectual faith. You gave us, you gave us faith with skin on in his name with Jesus. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, you still give us faith with skin on our skin. Help us, Lord, walk every day in your goodness, doing other people your good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.